Welcome to the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoChart, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.cochart.org. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to uh, the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoChart. Uh, this is Greg, uh, CoChart Executive Director and co-host. This is Roxanne, Coachart's marketing director, and I'm also a parent of a child with uh, cancer. And the Upbeat is powered by Coachart, a free nonprofit organization that does arts and athletics for any child impacted by any chronic illness, currently in LA, the Bay Area, and San Diego, and looking to expand to new cities in the future. Uh, we have uh, a guest that we're really excited about today. Uh, Deja Young is a 23-year-old full-time track and field athlete who was born with brachial plexus, which is also known as shoulder dystocia, uh, that caused nerve damage and limited mobility to her right shoulder. Uh, but she earned a track and field scholarship to Wichita State University, where she was all-conference, which is amazing. Um, and it was in college that she uh, learned about Paralympic track and field, which put her on a path that would lead her to her first Paralympic titles at the Paralympic Games in Rio in 2016, which is incredible. Uh, today, she's inspiring others to overcome challenges, including hopefully all of our listeners today and all of the CoChart students uh, who are going through really similar things. Hello, Deja, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this and to talk about my story and hope to inspire others. This is such an amazing story, Deja. I loved reading about you and learning your background. Uh, you've had this disability since birth. What was it like for you to grow up feeling different from your classmates and other athletes? Um, I didn't really feel different until about middle school because that's when kids start to come into their own and kids get a little bit more cruel the older mm -hmm. they get. Um, coming into their own ways, and I didn't realize I was different until about, I don't want to say the sixth or seventh grade when I really got into sports, and it was really hard for me because my parents have always raised me to know that I'm not different and that I can do anything I'm capable of, and to go to get to school and start getting bullied and hearing people say, you can't do this, or you're different from us because of this, and it was really hard because I've been, I was grown up and told so many times that you're not different, you, you can do whatever you want, and it was really hard to kind of balance that out and kind of figure out on my own that I truly am not different and I can't do anything I put my mind to. And the bullying was really rough through middle school. And I really did find that I was different and different in a good way, in a way that I was different because my disability really helped me through a lot of things. I don't know where I would be without it. Oh, interesting. In what ways do you feel like it helped you? Um, in a way of making me, it made me expand myself a lot more and made me, it helped me realize that I could reach out into different groups and different factors in different ways. My disabilities really helped me be more open-minded, actually. It helped me see people for past anything. If I see someone in the wheelchair, I don't see the wheelchair first. I see a smile first, or I'll see something else other than you have a disability. I see past that, and I think that really helped me when I was looking into college and looking into jobs and stuff like that, and I think that really helps me grow as a person. That's amazing. And we talked to a psychologist last week who sort of backed that up with research where she said that the kids who have gone through these hardships, you know, as difficult as it is at the time, that there's sort of a silver lining that they emerge with more resiliency, higher levels of, of being able to, to make it through tough times. Um, one question that I had, uh, you know, have you been one of those kids who knew that you wanted to be a professional athlete from a really young age? And, and if so, 
did any of that bullying in that period that you talked about cause you to second guess pursuing those dreams or how did you, how did your vision of what you wanted to become uh, sustained through that? I actually never thought myself as a professional athlete ever <laughs> until maybe college. Um, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be someone who helped others and who helped others through hard times and get them healthy and get them back to doing the, the things they do in normal life. But bullying really did help, help me realize what I wanted to do with, with my life to be exact. Um, it, bullying got worse in high school, really bad in high school. And it really helped me see that, Hey, you can be anything you want to be. So when I got to college and I got the opportunity to become a professional athlete, it was like, I'm going to do this because there's little other little girls and little boys out there who look like me, who are, have the same disability as me or have something much worse. And they need these type of role models in their life to say, Hey, the bullies use that as your fuel. And that's what I've used all these years is all the people who've told me, no, it's like, Hey, thank you for telling me no, because guess what? The only person who can really tell me no and can stop me from achieving anything I need to achieve is myself. And so that really helps me through that. That's great. That's really powerful. And did the bullying just come from other students, but the coaches sort of always really believed in you and what your potential was? Or did you, do you feel like you had doubters among the actual coaches as well? I had one amazing coach in high school. He was absolutely amazing. He was like the second dad. And I had some coaches on his coaching staff who were doubters and were not very nice to me and had said things to me that really just broke me down. It's one thing hearing it from kids because those are your peers, but hearing it from adults and people who have, who are older than you and who have insight and wisdom and to tell you, you can't do this, you won't be able to do this because of this, it, just, it was really hard. I had a coach tell me, you're not going to get recruited because of your arms. You need to look into other factors or other ways to get into college because athletics probably won't be it. And that broke me, absolutely wow. broke me. And my coach that I was working with at the time, he, he was very upset about it and demanded a handwritten apology, all of this. And even if, even though I got an apology from that coach, it was still embedded in my mind that, wow, if this one coach thinks that I'm not good enough to go to college for athletics, then what are these other coaches thinking? Have you seen that coach since you became all conference and have had the success and, and on the professional track that you are? Have you run into that person since then? I have not actually. I go back to my high school quite a bit to go see not only the coaching staff, but I still know a few people who are in high school and they know me and I have lots of plaques and pictures of me plastered as a high school. So I like to go back through and just go back to where I came from. And I've not seen him. He's not on the coaching staff anymore. I think he was let go after a year after I left and we have not crossed paths. And if we do, I, was, I wouldn't have any hard feelings. I was a moody 16 year old and we never really got along. And I would just say, Hey, Thank you. Because, hey, I'm grateful for everyone who has had doubts in me because it's, here I am now doing great well, things. I think that's really big of you. But I also hope that that coach is listening to this podcast and realizes <laughs> you should never tell kids that they can't accomplish these things. And look what happens. And so that they, that I hope they, they have learned from that as well. <laughs> right. That's just such an amazing story of perspective, though, because so many times, even our day to day lives and anything we do, we're, if we're told or we're doubted, you know, it's easy just to throw the towel in and go another path. But the fact that you pushed through and um, this worked out, you know, to your advantage and you have an amazing career ahead of you and you're still inspiring people and helping people. Congratulations on that. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, inspiring people has always been something I've always wanted to do. That's great. So we understand that you encountered a little setback in 2016 after winning two gold medals in your first game. Uh, After reaching the biggest moments of your life, you hit the lowest moments of your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your um, how how that helped, how you pulled through that, and how that inspired you to keep going? Yes. Um, So 2016 was a great year. I got to got two gold medals in Rio. I got to meet President Obama and Michelle Obama and. It's, everything was great in about 2016. I went home to surprise my sister for her birthday. And coming back from that surprise, I was driving back home. And I got in a really bad car accident. My car rolled five times into a ditch. Wow. And I was left upside down. I was left with a fractured wrist, torn ligaments, cuts. I wasn't able to walk, bruised hips. Everything was just bad. I went from being on top of the world to feeling literally in a ditch. I was literally in a ditch in my life and it was really hard. And I was lucky enough. I was able to finish my semester of college at home because I took all online classes and it was hard. I was disconnected from everyone. I didn't feel like I was connected with my teammates back in college because I wasn't there. I just felt empty and it was, I was low and I kind of gained a lot of weight. I was depressed. I was eating a lot. I was on bed rest. And I gained weight. So when it came January, it was the year of another world championship, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't going to run in 2017 because I was like, I, I can't do this. I'll come back in 2019 and compete. Because right now, I, I, I physically can't do this. And I had coaches keep telling me, like, you can do this. You can do this. You're built for this. And I was like, huh, I am not built for this. I cannot do this. I don't want to do this. And finally, I had to make the decision myself. I had to tell myself that this is you can do. I had to be the one to tell myself that I have to get up and do extra. I have to be the one to be in charge of my own success. And that's what I did. And I came back in 2017 and defended my world title. That's so powerful. And sort of regardless of whatever the situation is, you know, whether it's a diagnosis or whether it's a car accident in your case that causes this depression in those really low moments, that narrative of of kind of taking control of your own story is always so powerful. And so for you, when you talk about that happening, what do you remember about that turning point? Was it really a particular day? Was it over the course of of a week? What what was what what do you remember about what changed from I'm not going to be able to do this to you know what I'm going to take control of this situation and I am going to be able to do this? It was my first day back on the track it was my first day back on the track in spikes i was able to run in flat but i was finally able to put spikes on and when i did my first workout on spikes i felt amazing i felt so good i felt free finally and i sat there after practice and i really just thought and i was like okay if running makes me feel this free and it makes me this happy i need to find something within myself whenever running is over i need to find that same happiness and so I really just, I had to turn on that mental game. I, people say uh, track and field or any sports, very physical. I disagree. Most majority of the things is 90% mental, 10% physical. And so I had to turn on that mental mentality and say, hey, you need to find happiness outside the track. Because once I find happiness outside the track, I can find happiness on the track again. And I can push through anything once I'm happy. Because once it's gone, I can't just say, oh, I don't have anything else to live for. I don't have anything else to do. But I do. I have a lot to live for. I have lots to do. And finding that happiness, again, off the track and on the track, it was just really my turning point. 
Yeah. And it makes me think again about that um, uh, interview that we were referencing and the idea that, you know, potentially what you went through as a child and, and having something that you had to overcome, it might have been what gave you that resiliency that then when you ran into to another hurdle later in life that that you were able to overcome it. And, you know, I imagine thinking forward about the, the challenges that we have in life that you probably feel even more able and, and resilient to overcome whatever might come your way because of, of having a, a history of having done exactly that. Right, exactly. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And just going back on what you said about if it's on the, if it's a sport or a diagnosis, I always tell everyone, and if you're having a bad day, I'll give you, I'll give you 12 hours, 12 hours to cry, 12 hours to be upset, 12 hours to do whatever it is that you want to do because you're upset. And then when you get up the next morning, it's a new day. I like the saying, every day is a new day to be, every day is a day to be someone else, to be someone new. And I like to do that. Be renewed. Don't let yesterday's past or yesterday's thing really bring you down because every day counts and every day can make a difference. Either you're happy or you're sad, but every day makes a difference. And it's so important to know that your happiness can bring happiness not only to yourself, but to everyone else. That's really great and really inspiring. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing today and how you're sharing your passion with others? Um, Today I am currently training for world championships. In November, I'm a full-time professional athlete here in San Diego. I train at the Olympic Training Center, and I just like to be in touch with the community. Um, Even though I'm not from San Diego, uh, I worked at the Boys and Girls Club for a little while, and those kids, they were were kids. They were learning their way. It was like I was watching kids grow up. They were were my own. And just being in tune with the youth, youth is so important, so important, because they're our future. And so building up the youth, in any community, it's so important to tell them you can do whatever you want to do. You can do this, you can do that. And telling them that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to do this and it's okay to do that. But at the end of the day, like you are so important because your youth is our future. These kids that are growing up now, they're going to be future presidents or future senators. It's just, it's really important for us to build up the youth. And that's what I find my passion in. And that's what I try to do to inspire others and to go talk to kids or just try to spread that because they need to know that anything is capable. Because when I was a kid, I didn't think I was ever going to be a professional athlete ever because of my arm. And here I am, a professional athlete, on being very successful, and it's exciting. But I didn't have anyone tell me that, hey, you can be a professional athlete, you can do whatever you want. So I like to try to spread that same joy to other kids. And your story is obviously so inspiring, but you also are just so such a powerful and and, uh, inspiring speaker about it. Um, and we heard that you got an opportunity to actually use that, uh, those skills uh, on behalf of the, the U.S. State Department. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So um, I was actually invited to go to Africa with the U.S. Embassy to help spread the movement of, of Paralympics and people with disabilities because Nigeria just passed their People's with Disability Act, and it's 2019, and a lot of their buildings Actually, all of the buildings that I that I went to personally, they weren't um, accessible for anybody. They weren't accessible for if you were in a wheelchair. And there's quite a few stairs to climb to get to the the floor of Jimmy Gale. It's not accessible. There's no elevators. There's no way for them to get there. They're either crawling up the stairs or having someone carrying them. And I got to spread that. I got to spread my love for people with disabilities and talk to kids and really just figure out like what 
I know in the United States, we're kind of just like focused on what we're doing here, but actually going out into the world and seeing what's going on in other places was actually amazing. And I got to go to blind schools and school for the deaf and really just sit and talk to kids and really just be a kid with them and just kind of just play and enjoy and just really build them up and give them hope that they need because there is lack of hope. They feel forgotten because they're so far behind, but it's like, no, they're not forgotten. They are seen. And I was really honored to be able to go there and speak on that and say, hey, just because you have a disability, there's always ability and disability and you're able to do whatever you put your mind to. And it's beautiful to see people come together with all, all disabilities to say, hey, like we want to fight for our rights because we are people too. And I think that was just an amazing trip and the U.S. State Department took really good care of me. I was able to go different places and meet with Mandela Fellows and just speak to everyone and just kind of like pick brains. And I can't even imagine how powerful of a role model you must be for somebody who is has a disability and is in that situation and, and you know, being carried upstairs to be able to even uh, participate in something like that. And, and um, you must be such a role model to them and, and you know, that you didn't necessarily have um, growing up. But I do uh, understand that your role model growing up was Flojo, Florence Griffith Joyner. Can you tell us a little bit about what made her uh, your role model and, and so inspiring as a kid? Um, I like strong women. I love women who are strong. And I used to, I was a big kid. <laughs> I was always the tallest. I was always the biggest. I was way more than all the kids. And I used to hate it. I was like, why am I not skinny? Why am I not shorter? Why am I just this huge kid? I'm mostly muscle, but I was just, I didn't understand. And my mom would show me videos of her and then she would be like, she's a strong woman. And look what she's doing. She's killing it. She's dominating. And I was like, okay. And so I had to re- finally realize that being strong is beautiful. Having muscles is beautiful. Being athletic is beautiful. And I didn't really like that. I really didn't appreciate that until about college. I get told a lot that I have the same build as her. And it's just like, oh, that's the ultimate compliment. And just for all the little girls out there who think that, oh, their body is horrible or they don't like it, you're be- they're beautiful. Same with boys. You guys are all beautiful. Like It's just finding that comfort and that beauty in your skin is so important, especially as a child. That's fantastic. And one of the things that jumps out is just remembering you saying that it was sort of high school when you really set your mind to, you know, earning a track scholarship and and that that was that essentially committing to being this really powerful person happened for you earlier than kind of that it wasn't until college where you realized that in addition to being really powerful can get you places and and achievement that it is actually beautiful. That's sort of... uh, Interesting to note that it was sort of that the one thing dawned on you before the other one, but it's nice that that they both came into alignment um, uh, over the course of those few years. Absolutely, yes. It was. Yeah, I feel like the past few years have been just a whirlwind. Ever since I graduated from college, it's been a whirlwind, and it's been amazing just kind of coming into myself and really just growing into a woman that I actually love, and it's been an amazing ride. Well, Deja, thank you so much for joining us. Your story is incredibly powerful. And I think the entire conversation was really inspiring. But one of the things that I would most take away and that I hope any parent listening uh, or any of the the students who are listening um, might take away is even if someone who seems like they are an experienced professional in the field, if it's a doctor or if it's a coach, looks at you or your child and says, this is not going to be possible because of your child's diagnosis. 
that you can just say, yes, it is. And that, you know, go on to be all conference and to have two gold medals and that uh, these people who who have this experience and are in these positions of authority, that them saying, no, you can't, is not a be-all and an end-all. Uh, that's something that that I think is uh, so amazing about, uh, that I'll, I'll take away and remember from the conversation. And so I really appreciate you sharing that story and really everything. Um, you're such an inspiring person to talk to, and we, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I agree 100% with what you just said. Whoever it is, doctor, coach, whatever, and they tell you no, I get told no a lot, even now as a professional successful athlete. No is like one of the things that you're going to get a thousand no's before you get one yes. And that one yes may just just be you, maybe just your yes. And that yes is more than a thousand no's and more than a thousand yeses. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on The Upbeat. And um, for our listeners, we hope that you'll uh, stay tuned, uh, check out the the related blog post on theupbeat.coachart.org and uh, join us again for more inspiring stories like Deja's. Thank you so much, Deja. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. You can find more content like this at theupbeat.coachart.org, where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Thank you.